This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Good morning, everyone. Um, it is always my privilege to be back home with you. And where is home? That's the funny thing. Sometimes I just don't know anymore. Uh, home for me is most definitely the Philippines. I have been there for 20 years now. And it, it truly is like home to me. In fact, Dad and I were driving somewhere the other week uh, and we were on the other side of the road. And he says, don't forget now we're on the other side of the road. I says, Dad, I've been on the other side of the road for 20 years now. So, And he says, I suppose right enough, this is actually more natural for you to be on this side. Um, but... Uh, when I'm home here in Northern Ireland, this is home for me, MPC. People often ask me what I miss about Northern Ireland. The truth is I don't really miss that much, to be honest. Uh, apart from maybe a Lee's Chinese and some fish suppers from down the street. Uh, but the one thing I do miss is my home church. And I always say that to people. If I could transport my family and my home church, I'd be all right. That would be me sorted out. Um, so thank you again for coming out this morning. See friends from Derry, friends from Belfast. Who else did I see? Friends from Lurgan. Uh, Far-flung places, you know. Um, but I'm really glad that you've made it out this morning. And it is really my honour to be able to share with you. I want to share a couple of scriptures to begin with. It says in the book of Psalm... 34 and 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Another scripture in Psalm 27 says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Those two scriptures have been a lifeline, truly a lifeline uh, for us over the years in our ministry with the children. At Helping Hands Healing Hearts, we are honoured to serve the orphaned, the abandoned, the abused, the medically fragile and the vulnerable children who've come to us from crisis situations God sent me to the Philippines 20 years ago. I remember standing right there. In fact, I have a picture to prove it. And people prayed over me and sent me out to the Philippines. I'll save you the math. I was 23 when I went. I'm 43 now. And I had a few skills. I'd gone to uni. Done a wee bit of social work. Had a few skills. Uh, but only a few. But I had a big heart. Uh, my hips weren't as big, but my heart was as big. And I really went out just to serve the Lord. And I remember having that heart of, Lord, just use me wherever you want to use me. I didn't have a big agenda. I didn't even really know truly uh, what it was going to entail. I just knew that the Lord was calling me and that I needed to go and I needed to obey. But even though I didn't know, he knew and that's the great thing about the Lord. Sometimes we think, I need to know, Lord, so if you could just tell me exactly what I'm going to be doing. Now, Lord, are you saying a year, 18 months now? Where will it be exactly? And sometimes we're trying to micromanage the Lord's plans, but actually it's a mercy very often that he doesn't tell us the whole story because we'd panic. 
if we knew the end from the beginning, sometimes we really wouldn't be able to cope. So God tells us what we need to know as we go. Now in Helping Hands, we have three homes for children running and we have uh, two hospital ministry programs. In the Homes for Children, we have two children's recovery units, which are homes for sick children, homes for children who come in with cancer, leukemia, hydrocephalus, lupus. Um, Sometimes they come in with simple treatable diseases. Maybe it's just parasites or worms. No, sometimes they get up to 40 worms. 40 is the most we've removed from one child. That was nasty. It's like a bowl of spaghetti. I hope you're not eating spaghetti for your dinner. Honest to goodness, that part never gets any easier. It's not very glamorous, really. But we have kids that come in with treatable stuff like that that we can treat over a couple of weeks and get them back to their families. We have other children that come in who are really sent to us for palliative care and they would be coming in. Really, the doctors have already uh, reached the end of the rope with them and they feel that there's nothing more to be done. And that's when they would be referred into the CRUs or the children's recovery units. That's kind of expensive to run, to be honest with you. It takes a lot of money, and that's why we are so grateful uh, for uh, people here at home who continue to support uh, individually or corporately as a church, uh, for people who have come into a wee bit of money and have just said, hey, I'm just going to bless you. Uh, For others, it means standing in that charity shop. Uh, Thank you, Christine, who served for years in her way. But it's closed, so don't be going there anymore. We'll all miss it. But we're so grateful for it. And then for the ladies in Dollingstown who are slogging away there, how would we do it without them? Uh, I tend not to think about the money too much because if I did, I would panic. I think Joyce is the same. Sometimes we have to not think too much about what comes in or what doesn't come in because we know that at the end of the day, these children belong to the Lord. They are his and he does make a way. And you know, it's been truly amazing this year. There's been times this year where the money has been very low in a particular month and Dad and I have been having one of those phone calls. Uh, is there anything to send? He says, well, we'll give it another day or two. He doesn't like to say, no, you're broke. He says, well, well, we'll give it a wee day or two and see what happens. And suddenly you get that random email out of the blue that says, I'm going to send you a wee bit of money. And I'm sitting balling on the other side of the world. And the person that sent me the email has no idea that he's just told me, we'll give it a day or two and we'll see what happens. We'll see what God does. And God does. In that moment, God does. See, before I move on, I just want to take two seconds out. Uh, Would everybody, all my volunteers from the Dollingstown Charity Shop, would you all stand up? The men, the women that help. Stand up, go on ahead, for goodness sake. Good job, Mother. Good job, Ethna. There's Norma. There's my mother-in-law. There's Lois, Joyce, Raymond. There's Geraldine, Lisa, Alison. What's, I forget your first name. Lynn. Geraldine's in there too. Get up on your feet, Geraldine. Uh, and we have Trudy that goes in night to handbags. We have, uh, doesn't Nigel help out sometimes too? We have different ones that drives the van. Johnny's about there somewhere. The men with the muscle. Can't do it without the men with the muscle. Well, listen, I just want to publicly thank you this morning. And if any of you are often wondering, how can I help the Philippines? Because I can't go out there. There's a great charity shop in Darlingstown. You can either empty the contents of your house to it, or you can go to Joyce's and fill your house with the contents of her shop, or you could be the muscle, or you could give a few hours a week to volunteer. Either way, we would be truly grateful. But Joyce, would you just come forward? 
On behalf of Helping Hands Healing Hearts, we would like to present this plaque of appreciation to Compassion Charity Shop for your continuous support. Give us all a round of applause. <laughs> So, thank you everyone. I truly appreciate it. Couldn't do it without you, and that's the truth. Out in the Philippines, we now have a team of 56 local staff. 56 crazy people who want to work with me. They must be mad. But 56 local missionaries. Just to put that in perspective for you, our social workers, if they left us tomorrow and went to the social services, they would triple their salary instantly. They really are local missionaries. They really are given of their hearts, choosing to serve right there in their own local communities. And it's really, it is a sacrifice and it really is a blessing for them. But I'm so happy to have them. We also have seven long-term volunteers, foreign volunteers. We have two from America. We have two from Germany. And we have two very foreign foreigners from Palomina, Alan and Rachel Kirk. And they have been out with us. In fact, this year, it'll be five years that they'll have been out serving God. They give up their business in Palomina. They lifted their two wee boys and they came along to serve God in the Philippines. And it truly has been a blessing for me to have them. Uh, the, the video that I'm going to start with this morning, just to, to set the pace for this, is a video that I have brought home to show you. I want you to know what you have given towards, what you have worked for. Get in and out of the shop. What you have worked for, uh, just dropping money into that way account every month. I want you to see where it has gone. It's far better for you to see it than for me to explain it to you. So in this video, you are going to see um, the whole ministry. Some of you will have seen it before. Some of you, this will be your first time. But you're going to see, the first of all, the communities that we go into uh, to get the children from. And I think once you see their houses, you'll understand better why we need to do what we do. So the first kind of minute or two of children that you'll see, you'll see some dirty faces and some dirty wee nails and some not too wonderful housing. That's the communities uh, that the majority of our patients would come from and the majority of our children would come from. They come into the recovery unit if they're unwell. If they're not physically sick, but they've been abandoned or they've been abused or they've been neglected, then they would come into the children's home. So it depends where uh, you're coming from and what your situation is. It depends then on where you will be referred to. In the children's home at the minute, we have 24 children in the recovery unit. In Alongapo, we have 24 children. This is big numbers for us. We usually try and keep it around 20. Um, and in the recovery unit in Baguio, we are heading up to 20 this week. Last week alone, there were five new referrals. Uh, one with leukemia, one with a heart problem, and a few with other wee issues. And for some of these children, we are literally the lifeline because they live so far away. So far, we have one family at the minute, a mummy and our little baby. They actually... The New Tribes Missions people actually helivac them into us. The child was so unwell. They live a 24-hour hike up a mountain. Um, 
and then another six to eight hour bus ride to get to us. It really truly is in the middle of nowhere. And some of our kids are like that. If we didn't bring them in, if we didn't have a home right there in the city, they'd never make it. Because chemotherapy cycles tend to last for around three years. So if we didn't have somewhere in the city for them to come and stay, they literally would not have a hope. So those are the kids that you're going to see this morning. So we're going to show the main video, Haley, the 2017 HHM. I have a bit of good news for you. We made this in 2017 because I thought I was coming home that year to, to update you all. And in the end, the Lord had another idea and he sent myself and the kids home for a wee break. Do you remember that? We come home in July, not this July, but last for a wee rest. So this video is actually just over a year old. So 14 of the children who are on this video are no longer with us. 14 of them. In fact, 16 of them, 14 of them are already adopted and they're with their forever families. They're in Germany, they're in Switzerland, they're in the US, they're in New Zealand. They are all over the world. In fact, we have 30 children all over the world. That's 30 children who are no longer orphans. To put this in perspective for you, that's a huge number for a small work like ours. In fact, we're often asked, "How? what's going on there? How are you getting so many away into families? And we say, I really don't know. We work hard at the paperwork. We're consistent about it. We're a bit, I'm a bit pushy. Would you believe that? No, you might find that hard to believe. But I may, I may follow people up more than once. I think a Filipino uh, people are a little bit more laid back than Irish people. So I guess the pushy in me has helped. It has been effective. Uh, Raymond told me years ago, the Bible told me, cast not away your confidence. So I took him on his word. I says, well, Lord, if that's the scripture for me, I'll hold to it. And we have 30 around the world. So 14 of these children are no longer with us. They're with their families. Two of them are with the Lord. You'll nearly be able to tell who that is when you watch it. But We'll go ahead and show you the video and I'll be straight back up to tell you a wee bit more of what has happened since then. To see the video that we played in this service, please visit helpinghandsministries.com or look for Helping Hands Ministries Philippines on Facebook. Thank you. I can hardly believe that we have been able collectively to touch so many lives um, and we have been able to truly change uh, change the course of children's lives forever. Every month we receive more new referrals of children who've just had their hearts broken again uh, by one or by more than one adult in their life. Maybe they were overlooked. Maybe they were second choice to a new partner. Maybe they weren't healthy enough. Maybe they were abused. Maybe they were rejected again. The thing about all of the kids at Helping Hands, which you could never tell from looking at their faces there, is there's not one of them that comes to us who has not just suffered uh, an immeasurable loss. The kids that come to us come with a prefix label of rejection. Oh, some of them, it's stamped so deeply into them that you think you'll never be able to undo it. One of the main things that we have to do, actually, something Clifford was mentioning this morning, one of our main roles at Helping Hands is really, truly to disarm the fear so that we can begin to teach the children how to have a little bit of faith again, how to trust again. It's very hard to trust if you're full of fear. Fear literally stifles every other emotion that you have. It fuels the negative emotions and it stifles the positive emotions. 
But by the grace of God, slowly but surely, just as he promises in his word, he binds up the wounds. We see children coming in sometimes and they're so loud and they're just going to take over the whole house. And Mina and I are looking at each other thinking, Lord, strength and grace, please. We'll be needing it in abundance this week. There's other wee ones that come in and they just come in and they go and sit down and the wee head is down. Did you see the wee boy at the start of the video when the song came on? He just walked in. He just went over and sat down in the chair. Leonard had actually asked him to come in and uh, and just, you know, show him the, the area. But he, he was just new at that stage. And he just automatically, and Leonard caught it, he just walked along and he just sat down with his wee head down. I remember the first day that child came in, I said to, I walked over to him and I said, hello, who are you? And he just didn't even lift his head. So I walked into the office, I says to Jovi and Mina, the social workers, I said, oh, I see we've got a new one. She said, yeah, he's, he's not really spoke since he arrived. I said, oh, has he just arrived? They said he arrived this morning and he hasn't spoke. So I said, Lord, give me wisdom to know how to draw this wee one out of himself. So I went out again and I sat down beside him and said, in Tagalog, Pangalan mo. What's your name? Anong pangalan mo? And he didn't answer. I said, okay, Lord, that didn't work. Give me another one. So I said, how old are you? But he didn't answer. So I said to him, are you five? And he looked at me, shook his head. Kids never like you to guess younger, right? I said, are you six? Well, you must be seven then. Are you seven? Shook his head. I said, are you eight? He did like this. I said, I knew it. I knew you were eight. Let's look at the birthday board. So we went over to the birthday board and went up, we went through every single picture. I says, congratulations. You are our eight-year-old and nobody else is quite like you. You are my most favourite eight-year-old in the whole world. And as we face smiled, I says, we'll have to get a real good picture of you and get it up on this wall, JR, won't we? He said, yeah. And that was it. That was my band-aid ever since. Him and I are like sticking plasters. He goes about every time I come in, he says, Mummy Claire, where were you yesterday? Because you were meant to be here. I says, you're like my wee diary. You're keeping track of me. And he laughs. We have been working on that child's papers now for just over a year and finally he is on the list of children available for adoption. Will you pray please earnestly for that child? He wants a mommy and a daddy and he doesn't want brothers and sisters. <laughs> I says, you're not a bit fussy, pet, sure you're not. He says, no mum, I just want a mommy and a daddy only. And do you know, there are not that many couples looking for children on the list that only have a mummy and a daddy. Most of the couples that are childless are looking for a wee baby. Well, he's 10 now. So please will you pray that there is a couple out there who maybe don't want to do the baby thing, who maybe can't do late nights and all-nighters, and maybe they're thinking nappies. No, that never really appealed to me. But I'd, I know how to kick a ball, and I'd love to go and ride a bike, and I'd love to just be able to parent somebody who needs a family. Will you pray? for my wee JR. You know, the trauma is so damaging to the children that it actually alters their brain. It changes their brain. If I could show you pictures of a healthy brain, a brain of a child who has been through many adverse childhood experiences and, and trauma, and I could show you the brain of an addict, 
you would be shocked to see the similarities in the child's brain and the addict's brain. There are actually parts of the brain that shut off and begin to shrivel up when they're not being used. You would be shocked as mummies and daddies to know how much you taught your children by nonverbal expressions when they were tiny. You taught them how to make the face. You taught them how to do the cute face. You taught them how to giggle and when was the appropriate time. You taught them when was the appropriate time to cry. When they fell down, you said, oh, don't cry, because you knew they were going to cry. You taught them that. Do you know very often children in orphanages fall down and they don't cry? Do you know why? Because even if they did cry, no one would come. No one would come. If you ever go into an orphanage and it's an eerie silence, you need to get out and run a mile. That is not a good place to be. Children are not silent. They shouldn't be silent. We should be shushing them all the time. You know how it is when you've got kids, you're always saying, hey, for goodness sake, keep your voices down. That's normal. But when you go in and somewhere is eerily silent, that is not a healthy place for children to be. There's a theory that says that every child just needs one caring adult in their life to make a difference. Just one. And for over 60 children, we are the one. We're the one. And I say that to the team. I can't be the one for everybody, but you can be the one for a few. So usually what we do is when kids come in, we try to break it down a wee bit and we try to say, okay, you're, you're, they're your three. You're the one for these three. So when they come in from school and they've done well in their test, they should be breaking them doors down to get to you, to say, hey, Mama Mina, I did good today. Or Mama Mina, I got in trouble today. Can you sign my wee slip? Might have got a wee detention. And it's great that they have somebody to run home to. People often say, why do you use the words Mama or Daddy Marwin or Mama Mina or Mommy Claire or Nana Marissa? And I said, well, how would you like it if you were in school and you had to say, well, I'll go home and ask my legal guardian. <laughs> sure, that's pants. Nobody would want to be saying that. Now, what the difference is, they'll say Mommy Claire. But when their adoptive families show up, it is amazing. By the next day, they're saying to me, not mommy Claire anymore. They'll say, Ate Claire. Ate means older sister. Ate Claire, could you show my mommy where our room is? Or Ate Claire, could you show my mommy um, the video of me when I was two on your phone, the one on your phone? And I remember the first time that happened, I was a bit teary-eyed. It happened with wee Melanie, actually. And I went, I must have done that face. And she said to me, oh, but you will always be my mommy, Claire. I said, I know, darling, it's okay. It's really okay because now you've got your real mummy. You've got your own mummy who'll be your mummy forever. I'm okay with being Auntie Claire for now. But I love to see that switch that they're able to make. At Helping Hands, we work really hard towards family preservation. So not every child is for adoption. A child is really best placed in a family who can love them, who can care for them. So if there's any way for us to keep a child in their own biological family, then that is what we do. We love families. And sometimes, sometimes poverty is not really an excuse to pull a child away from their family. 
okay, it's not your level of care, uh, your standard of a nice house, or maybe it's not my standard of the perfect food being served every day. But still and all, that child is best kept in their own family if they're safe. So what we try to do is in the recovery units, especially we bring in the mums as often as we can. And we say, mum, come you in with us and help take care of your child. We had a child referred to us about a year and a half, almost two years ago. Her name's Kyla and she's a beautiful child. Kyla really went through a big tragedy in her life though. At six years old, her mummy and her granny had allowed her to cook. Her granny had let her cook and Kyla lit the, sprayed the kerosene and then she lit the match and it came back on her and it burnt her. And she was only six. And she lived in Palawan. And Palawan is like a, a seaside, go on your holidays kind of place. And it's lovely, but it, it wouldn't have the best hospitals for burns treatment. So they did the best they could for about three months. And they finally discharged her from the hospital. But there was not the appropriate wound care and all of that sort of stuff given. But Kyla was eventually referred to us came to live with us from a Muslim family, came to live with us. And I would say that Kyla's life has been transformed. She's not for adoption. Someday she wants to go back, support her family. But at the minute, we are in the process of trying to teach Kyla that despite her physical burns, she has a lot of self-worth, that she is precious, that she can be whoever she wants to be. Because her family have kind of come to the conclusion that she would make a good house help or she would be good for staying at home and keeping the house and the rest of them will go off to school and do all these things. And, well, I don't agree. Um, so we are trying to, at the minute, pour into Kyla, fill her confidence up and teach her that she can be anything she wants to be. In fact, I'll let her tell you herself. You can go ahead and play Kyla for me. To see the video that we played in this service, please visit helpinghandsministries.com or look for Helping Hands Ministries Philippines on Facebook. Thank you. Isn't she amazing? I, honestly, she is truly an amazing child. And that's what, I, that's what I love about the children that God brings to us. I can so see how that before God, their lives are so different than they are once they receive Jesus into their heart. That child has fully embraced the Lord by herself. We didn't push it. We didn't force it. We were very respectful um, of her Muslim beliefs initially when she came in. We didn't serve her pork or anything like that. We were very respectful of it. But just as the months went by, she began to see something in the staff, something different. And she was like, I want that. What is that about you? What, what? And she began to attend the Bible study. She began to listen. She accepted Jesus into her heart. Very recently, she actually asked Mama Mina, uh, Mama Mina, can I get baptized in Glorious Church with Pastor June and Karen? Remember June and Karen that came? She goes to their church. She said, can I get baptized? And we said to her, sweetheart, you need to talk to your mummy about it first. Just talk to your mummy. Let's do this in the right way. And her mummy was actually abroad. And they had been in communication every week, her mummy would Skype, but her mummy was working as a domestic helper in Korea and she would send the money home to the grandma and the other children to help them to survive. 
So the mummy was able to come home. That's code for she was kicked out of Korea for having no visa, by the way. Um, so she was able to come home uh, a few weeks back and uh, she literally arrived a day or two before Kyla's big operation. Kyla said there, I have to have my another operation. She actually had it two weeks ago. Was, was it when I got home, but two or three weeks ago. And they've tried to fix some of the scar tissue on her neck because her neck, her chin used to be stuck to her chest and it's now up as you can see, but her, wee her bottom lip still would hang. That's why she kept her wee headband on to talk to you because her speech is better when it's on. So that's what they were attempting to fix in the last few weeks. So would you pray for Kyla? Because really her heart's desire is to reach her family. She's no desire at the minute anyway to be adopted. She wants to go back to her family someday, but I don't want her to go back and be a house helper. I want her to go back. Not that there's anything wrong with being a helper, but I feel like that's not what the Lord has planned for Kyla. I believe he has great things planned for that child. I really, really do believe it. And I would love you to be able to pray along with me for her. She wants to reach her family. She doesn't want to be in agony every day with these burns. She, uh, it was amazing. A team came from Australia, from Interplast Australia. Um, and they were the ones who did the surgery a few weeks ago. So you're talking plastic surgeons from Australia. That was a really good deal. And they did it for free. So we just had to pay for all the before care. And obviously we'll keep her for the next few years. They have already said that they want to do more surgeries because she had to have it here. Her arm, which is also like a bat wing because of the burns and her wee breasts and her wee tummy. So please pray for her. She needs to go for another surgery next November. And that kind of gives us an excuse to keep her for another year because it takes a wee while to get them wounds. We keep telling the family, all this wound care, you know, you've really got to keep it up. And it's true, you really do. Actually, it's really difficult. Um, but by the grace of God, she's battling through and she is doing brilliant. Jake Goodall said this, he said, what you do makes a difference. So you have to decide what kind of difference do you want to make? What you do makes a difference. It does. So what kind of difference do you want to make? That really challenged me. No matter what I do, I'm going to make a difference to somebody. A good difference, a bad difference, I'm going to make a difference. I need to decide what kind of difference do I want to make. There really is a lost and dying world out there. And we have the message that they need. Really, honestly, we need to tell people about Jesus. He is the life changer. He is the life giver. He is the one who makes the difference. People say, oh, that religion, that's just a crutch. Well, who, who doesn't need a wee bit of help walking? We need a saviour. Need. It's not a, a, a take it or leave it kind of a thing. We need a saviour. I can see the difference that he has made in the lives of these children. I said in that video, I'm very honest with you, some of our children have gone on to be with the Lord and have died. And honestly, that breaks our hearts. In fact, it nearly wrecks you at the time. You think you're never going to get over it. You think you're never going to recover. But you do, because there are still so many more who need to know 
about him. He truly is the saviour that cares. He is the saviour that heals. He is the one that makes the difference in our everyday lives. Rosine always used to tell me about the scripture in the book of Psalms. It says he busies himself with every detail of our lives. He busies himself with every detail of our lives. Me. Almighty God busies himself with the details of my life. That blows me away. You see, every other religion serves a God who is so way out there. He's a dead God, but he's so way far out there. But we serve a personal God. The Bible says that we can call him Abba. What does Abba mean? Does any of the kids know? What does Abba mean? If you say Abba, Father, it's like Daddy God. Abba's a very personal word. See that man over there? That's my daddy. And people laugh at me at 43. I still call him daddy. They say, how's your daddy, Claire? Because they all laugh because everybody calls dad, you know, or father. But I say my daddy, my mommy and my daddy. Because for me, it's such a personal thing. Imagine that you and I have a God who allows us to be that close close enough that he can be our father. Do you remember the verse in the very beginning in the book of Psalms? Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Could you see that in the video? Could you see that in their faces? The Bible is very clear that we are to care for our own communities. And that's what we do. Where's Wilson? Sure, I drive past Wilson and Moyer. Always give him a wee toot and a wee wave. He's probably thinking, why is the pastor tooting his horn at me? But it's me, Wilson. It's me. You just can't see with the tent. But I was giving him a wee toot and a wee wave the other week. We need to do that. We need to reach our own communities. Because I believe there's one heaven and one hell. And all the unsaved Northern Irish and all the unsaved Filipinos will be in hell. Those who have known and who have asked Jesus to be their Lord and personal saviour, no matter where they're from, whether rich or poor, no matter the nationality, they'll be someday with the Lord in heaven. That's what I believe. That's what the word teaches. The Bible is also very clear, though, that as important as it is to reach our own communities, it's important to care for the orphan. There are 41 scriptures that refer to the orphan and the fatherless. 41 in case you missed the first 40. He put a 41st in. And each of those scriptures, there's ones like you will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer terrify them. Some of the kids come in so terrified and I know exactly at that point what that scripture means. Because I used to read it and think, what? terrify them but I tell you when they come through the door some of them the traumas that they have gone through you see the terror in their face and you'd never know it by looking at that video but for some of them they've been with us maybe for four years and it really has taken some of them that length of time for those feelings of fear to dissipate it says in another scripture in Isaiah learn to do good seek justice help the oppressed defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. Widows are very important too to the Lord. Yes, we need to meet people's needs here at home, but we can never forsake the needs of orphans around the world. Where has the Lord placed on your heart? I fully realize that not everybody's heart is for the Philippines. That's okay. 
But that doesn't give you a Bible to not have a heart for anywhere. I want you to ask the Lord today. See after lunch, go and take a wee bit of time to yourself. Just you and the Lord, close the door. Say, Lord, where do you want me to have a heart for? Is it the Philippines? Is it Colombia? Is it Colombo? Is it where Rachel was? Or where was she? I just forgot the name there. Is it Africa? Is it India? I have a friend out in India at the minute. I have a friend in Myanmar. Is it Russia? Is it Ukraine? Where in the world has the Lord placed on your heart? Because he should have placed somewhere on your heart. And that is where you need to focus your effort. How can you help? People often like to go. Going's good. There's two girls here that came out to me many years ago, 15 maybe. Probably about 15 years ago. Sure, they were only teenagers then. Sure, we were all nearly only teenagers then. <laughs> they were wild too. They really were. You want to see the hack of them when they come out to me. And sure, look at them now, all gorgeous and dignified and all. The two of them come out, Annabelle and her mummy and her nanny come out. Martin was out recently. And, you know, others have come and others have really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, Noel and Beverly come out. In fact, they only found out they were pregnant with the biggest girl when they got there. Um, and others have come out and they've had a great time. Sometimes the Lord calls you to go. And it may be for two weeks. It may be for 20 years. But sometimes he calls you to give. I would hazard a guess that almost every single person in this room at some point has given. Keep giving. I'm telling you, none of this would be possible if you were not giving. I can go and I can do it, but I'm broke. I, I, the only money I have is the money that you sent me. Mark works for our family. We have seven children. He has to do a lot of work. That poor man. Seven youngsters. We have two homemade and five ready-made. May I thoroughly recommend the ready-made? <laughs> Every time I complain about the size of my hips, Caleb said to me, not my fault, Mum. Not my fault. <laughs> give. Wherever the Lord puts in your heart to do it, please give. Give sacrificially. You are changing the course of people's lives forever. Be sure of where you give to. Make sure that they're doing the practical and the spiritual together. Make sure that it's not all one or all the other. Make sure the two things go hand in hand. Make sure they're registered with the government out there. Make sure they've got good social workers. If they've got 500 children in their home, run a mile. It's too many. That's not a healthy environment. Kids need small family homes. In fact, that is why our heart is to build a village someday in the town, not a big isolated culty type village out in the middle of nowhere, but somewhere near community where we can have smaller family homes for children, where there's just a mama and a papa and maybe no more than eight kids per home. Ideally, that's what I would love. And I know that that's God's heart someday. Sure, he doesn't tell me the end from the beginning. Don't ask me when I'm doing it for don't know. Sure, I wish I did know, but I don't. I just know that someday the village will come. Wherever he has put at your heart, please give. Please pray. I remember one night in particular, mummy phoned me. She says, how are you doing, love? I said, I'm doing okay. 
She always said that anyway, I'm doing okay. And then she says, are you really okay? But are you all right? I says, I'm all right. She says, are you sure you're all right? Because Big Gary was praying for you the night and he prays for you every Thursday night, but he was touching heaven the night, the roof near lifted. And she says, funny enough, he started and then Joyce started and then somebody else started. And she says, that's the way it went. It was just one of those nights where everybody suddenly was really praying for you. She says, are you really all right? I says, I, well, we're going, for you. we're going through a few things, mum. And then I just began to share. She says, I knew it. I just knew it. I knew. How did she know? Because in the spirit realm, something happened when he began to pray. I remember another night, my auntie Jennifer uh, was praying in Calvary Pentecostal Church down in Newton Abbey. And it was the same idea. Uh, she must have had said to daddy, is Claire all right? Daddy says, I think so, think so. And uh, he phoned me, he says, you all right, love? Yeah, I'm okay. But we're, he says, what were you doing last Tuesday night? Oh, it's this desperate night, Dad. We're in the ICU. Somebody was dying. We're standing over them. And I says, you know, Dad, sometimes I'm, I'm so disheartened in that moment that I can hardly even pray. It's not an awful admission to make on a Sunday morning, me, your speaker. But every one of you know what I'm talking about. There really are times where you've run out of words and you don't know what else to say and your heart, your human heart is just in your boots and you're like, I'm done, Lord. I don't, I don't even know what to pray anymore. I, I'm actually not even, I, I, yeah, I don't know what to say. He says, well, Auntie Jenny says that last Tuesday night, all of a sudden, the same thing, this prayer swelled up for you in Calvary Pentecostal Church. And I said, that's what it was. That was the difference. The person survived too. Pray for your missionary. Who's your missionary? I'm your missionary. You should pray for me. But who else is your missionary? Pray for them too. Because you never know what they're going through on that side of the world. You're sitting here in Moira praying or you're sitting at Donna Cloney praying up the road, just having a wee time with the Lord. And the Lord is doing something on the other side of the world. I want to close with this story. Every year I've come home, I've been telling you about a certain child. And remember I said to you earlier, the Bible, uh, the Bible, Jake Goodall said, you're going to make a difference. You are going to make a difference. You just need to, you need to decide what kind of difference you want to make. I decided years ago that I wanted to change the course of children's life so I could see them going in this direction. <sighs> And I wanted to change it to this direction. And I realized that it wasn't even a rescuer's mentality where I'm just going to rescue everybody because you burn yourself out if you're doing that. And the truth is you can't rescue everybody. It doesn't always work like that. There's as many bad times as there are good times. That's the real life mission. There are days, um, I, I remember in particular, we were going through an adoption last August and it was our adoptions last for three days. The families arrive in from abroad. We introduce them to their child. As you saw in the videos, they usually, it's one of those Disney moments. They run up, they throw their arms around them. They're all stand bawling, mascaras everywhere. And then the second day is a wee bit more normal. You're just trying to let the parents see what normal is for the kids. Um, 
I have to teach them what normal noise levels are because our house is always the noise, the decibels are up here somewhere. And I always say to the families, don't forget when you go home and it's deadly silent, that might be a bit uncomfortable for our kids because they're, they're used to having to lift their voice a wee bit and uh, be a wee bit louder. And when you go home, you'll be like, why are you shouting? Are you mad at me? And they'll be like, no, I'm just telling you, mum, ready for my cereal. <laughs> so we do that on the second day. And then the third, second night, we do what's called a despedida. So that's our big goodbye party all the Filipinos are thinking oh they had spaghetti they had fried chicken they had pancit and everybody knows what happens at these parties it is an absolutely brilliant night we say our goodbyes we ball our eyes out yet again we give closure to the families we give closure to the kids who are left behind and that is hard the wee ones that are left behind break their heart for days suddenly there's wet beds suddenly there's trouble at school and they're all out of sorts because they've lost a sibling. It's really hard. And then the third day, we send them out together. We were going through an adoption uh, on August and we were all on a high. It was the hardest adoption we'd ever done. And right in the middle of it, we got a call to say that wee baby had died in a flood. Did you hear about the typhoons that had come in? Well, a typhoon had come into their island, which was the one that we'd had to get the boat out to, really in the middle of nowhere. And the water had come in, just washed them away. It happened. Mummy was holding the newborn. He was only a year and a bit. And it just in a split second, he was gone. He was with the Lord. And I remember looking at Rachel and she was like, I, I can't. Like, I'm Claire, I'm going to break down. And I'm like, Rachel, you can't break down. We're in the middle of an adoption and we need to send this child out of here happy and content with no horrible thoughts in her head and no bad memories. And I said, you know what, we'll cry tomorrow. She said, right, you're just saying that like we'll be able to do it. I'm like, we'll be able to do it. We are the adults and we are in full control of our emotions and we will cry tomorrow. She said, right, that's not weird at all. I said, no, it's not, sure it's not, we'll cry tomorrow. And so we did, the next day came we sent the child off. She was going around the corner in the van. We were waving goodbye. And Rachel said, can we cry now? I said, I've already started. What's keeping you? And that was it. The tears started to roll down our faces. And one of the staff was coming up to say, Mom, something's happened. And we're like, give me 10 minutes. Give me 10 minutes. And he was just going, ball it out. And we literally went over to the office and balled it out. You could probably have heard us here in Ireland. And it's really like that. There are times where we're emotionally drained. There are times where we just don't know, is it worth it? Lord, is it worth it? We've, you know, we stepped in. We fixed that wee child's uh, cleft. He was a total mess. We were literally to get him back next month to fix the palate. Lord, what happened? And sometimes we don't have the answers. And that's just the truth. We don't always get the answers. That's where we need to be able to just say, God, I trust you. I said to Rachel, do you know what the Lord's just reminded me? He's no more surgeries to get, Rachel. I'll never have to go through another surgery again. He'll never have another day's pain in his life. He'll never know what an empty stomach feels like. Do you know, some of our children have lived through horrific hunger and horrific times. Did you see the wee one doing all the dancing? When she first came in, you know, she's from a family of seven. You saw them at the start of the video. They're all in white T-shirts. They're truly orphaned. Mummy died giving birth to the youngest. And Daddy, he died of lung cancer a couple of years ago. So seven truly orphaned children... 
that wee child, when she came in, she was like, you know the old videos you used to see on the TV of the Ethiopians? Remember during the famines? That's exactly what she looked like. She was naked, her and her sister. And the wee boy knew that was all doing all this. That's Vince, that's their big brother. And she was truly starved. And I remember when she first came to live at the recovery unit, she said to Marissa one day, Nana Marissa, there's so much food in this house. And Nanny Marissa says to her, well, sweetheart, Marina, you don't have to eat it all, love. And she said, I know, but there's just so many food in this house. You know, in my old house, there's not so many food. And she said, I know, love, I know. Did you be hungry sometimes? And she said, Nanny, sometimes we're so hungry, we didn't eat for a few days. And she says, then sometimes, Nanny, we eat the lupa, the dirt, the soil. And it gives us a sore tummy, she said. It makes you feel full for a wee while, but then you get a sore tummy. If you saw her, you did see her, see her doing her dance. How that child came in and how she is now is two totally different things. Why is that? Again, it's good nutrition, thanks to you. It's good caregivers. Again, you're paying their salaries. That's thanks to you. But it's Jesus who makes the difference. Close them with this. So 10 years ago, I got a call. You know this story. The majority of you who come to the church know the story. For those of you who have been out recently, uh, we, Annie and different other ones, they definitely know this story. Got a call 10 years ago to say, would you come and see a baby at the hospital? And as, as you do, who likes to go and see babies at the hospital? so exciting isn't it you're like oh I can't wait and you're buying pink fluff or you're buying blue fluffy stuff and you're all excited and you're ready to go and we got to the hospital and I went over and looked into the wee bassinet and the nurse pulled back the sheet I remember looking at the nurse and looking at the baby and looking at the nurse and saying like where is the rest of her this wee baby had no hands she had no feet. Well, one foot, she had an ankle, a wee bit of an ankle. And she had no mouth. Her mouth was fused shut. So there was a wee edge of lips, but the wee mouth itself was fused shut. And I remember saying to the, the nurse, she is absolutely beautiful. She's just really different. And the nurse said, that's right. The doctor said to me, Claire, would you take her home and let nature take its course? Hi, sister, Doctora. I'll take her home and I'll see what God does. Because I'm a Christian, so we're going to pray for her and we'll see what God does. Now, as many of you with newborns, as Hannah and Bartley are about to find out, um, when babies are newborns, you don't really know an awful lot about their personality. You don't know much about them. Really, honestly, they just sleep and poop. That's about all they do. And you really can't tell much. But we began to pray for Melanie. And we began to pray, as parents would do, Lord, make her strong. Lord, give her a great sense of humour. Uh, Lord, give her skills, talents, abilities. Lord, I pray that when this wee mouth gets open someday, whether it's supernaturally and it's a miracle or whether it is uh, by a doctor, whatever way it's okay with me. Lord, I pray when this wee mouth opens, it'll never shut again. It'll never shut. It'll never cease to sing your praises. And as this wee child began to grow, we could see that she had great brain function. There was nothing wrong with her brain. 
even before she was a year old, if she was hungry, she would rub her wee stump on her tummy and she would not belong, wouldn't she, Cheryl? She would not belong in letting you know that she was hungry. This girl could do anything. She hated the tube in her nose. Boy, is it dear she hated it. She used to pull it out and look at us as if, there you go. And we would say, sweetheart, when you're hungry, you need to come back and we'll have to put it in again. I know it hurts and it's not nice, but you need it, love. And she'd be like, mm, mm, mm. okay, love. And then about four hours later, when she was starving, she would come back and she would lie down and she would hand us the tube as if, put it in. <laughs> she'd be raging, wouldn't she, Cheryl? And she would lie down and we'd put the wee tube in and get her fed again. And we just watched her grow and grow and grow for 10 years. We got to parent that child for 10 years. Did you see her in the video riding the horse? There's nothing she cannot do. Did you see her playing football? And you know, in the last lot of years, we began to see the answer to the prayer specifically about the skills and the talents. Because we said, Lord, she's so different. Just give her stuff that helps her to shine. Just talents and giftings and abilities. And last I think it was about two years ago, uh, one of the staff, in fact, I remember the, the girl just reminded me, I saw her at one of the churches recently. It was one of our Irish volunteers came over one time. Her name was Ruth. And Ruth came over and she says, we're going to do finger painting today. So all the kids were all excited and they all came to sit down. And Ruth said, as soon as the words were out of my mouth, I looked at Melanie's hands. I thought, for goodness sake, this is going to be a bit awkward. But not one bit awkward was it for Melanie. She had the wee stump in, she got her finger and she just was doing her wee stump prints all over the paper. And then Ruth thought, hmm, she's got wee talent for that. So Ruth handed her a paintbrush and one of the staff was about to say, I don't know if it'll, if it'll work, but Melanie just got it out and she started to paint and draw. And she's never quit since. The same with her talking, actually. I don't know who she takes it after. Total chatterbox, an Irish accent and everything. But she... Uh, she began to draw. About two years ago, one of the staff said, uh, Mum, Rachel, I have entered Melanie into an art competition. And Rachel said, oh, right, okay. And she says, well, guess what? She's won first place in the whole of the Philippines. And then they put her in for the international one, and she won third place in the whole of Asia. We got invited to go to Taiwan to collect her $100 prize. The flight costs more than the prize, can I just say? <laughs> but who would have been the ogre that would have said no to that particular flight? I'm like, Dad, we need to find the money. Don't care how we do it, but we got to go. Um, but I want to leave the last word today with you, and I want it to be from Melanie. Of all the children in all the years that have really affected me, encouraged me to carry on with the work, it has been this one. I have truly seen the Lord work in this child's life to shape her and to turn her into something beautiful. We've done it for Melanie. We're going to do it for thousands more with your help. I truly believe that. What Melanie didn't tell you in this video is... Just a month after the video was made, she mentions it in it. Uh, pray for me because I want to have my family. About a month after that video, a family came forward for Melanie. She was only on the list. They saw her name, they saw her wee face, sorry. And both the husband and wife separately had looked at the list. And there's like 200 plus kids on the list. 
And both of them came together that night and said, that's our daughter. And they applied and the government approved it. And just last August, we were able to hand that child over to her forever family. She's now a Georgia peach out there in Atlanta, winning hearts everywhere she goes. Cannot wait to see what the Lord's going to do with that child. I know it's going to be awesome. Uh, from the bottom of our hearts to your heart, this is what you have given towards. This is what you are a part of. This is your mission. This is MPC's mission to the Philippines. This is all the hard work, all the shifts, all the money you've given, all the times you've prayed, the times that you have been patient with me when I take too long on a Sunday morning. It's all worth it. This is helping hands, healing hearts, and this is Melanie. May God bless you this morning. To see the video that we played in this service, please visit helpinghandsministries.com or look for Helping Hands Ministries Philippines on Facebook. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk